Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright, and welcome to the show. We start by checking in on an anniversary. This month marks 20 years since five Black and Latino men were vindicated in what became known as the Central Park Jogger case. In 1989, amid a national and local panic about crime, five teenage boys were accused of raping a woman in the park. Investigators extracted false confessions, and despite inconsistencies in the confessions and other evidence, they were convicted. And their images were held up in national media as symbols of urban chaos in which white people were put in danger by wild black and brown youth. It wasn't until December of 2002 that DNA evidence finally established their innocence. They became known as the Exonerated Five, and they became, among other things, advocates for juvenile justice reform. I'm joined tonight by two of those men, Kevin Richardson and Raymond Santana. Kevin and Raymond, thank you for making time tonight. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So there were hundreds of articles written about you in 1989 alone. Uh, you have an obviously unique understanding of what can happen when news media and politicians elevate anxieties about crime. And in this year's election, crime uh, and the fear of it played a huge role. That was particularly true here in New York. Um, but it's been part of the conversation all over the country. And I just wonder, have you followed that conversation about crime right now? And if so, what it's made you think about? And Kevin, let's start with you. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunate that these same things are happening even from 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago in 1989. And these things are still happening. So you have to look and analyze it and wonder why these things are still happening. And we must right the wrong because it must be a change. And if we're not there yet, then something's wrong. And we need to check ourselves and others that's accountable for this. So we have to keep pushing forward. Do you hear an echo in it at all, Raymond? Yeah, I mean, here it is that this is 30 plus years later, the system is still operating at a fast pace, right? Everything is moved by budgets in the system. Um, if you look at every entity that's attached to the criminal justice system, it's in billion dollar budgets. So it's responsible for a lot of lives, a lot of jobs. And so it's hard um, to see change when so much is at stake, right? You have a system like New York State that operates on, you know, a population of 70,000 roughly, right? And and how much money is pumped into the criminal justice system just off the back of 70,000 inmates. And so to see, you know, back then and to see it now, nothing has changed. It's still operating at, at an alarming rate. Uh, you're both in your late 40s, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. as am I. <laughs> this story began for you as teenagers, um, yeah. you know, and from the outside, at least, it appears like it really defined your lives, both in the obvious negative ways, but in positive ways, too, in terms of shaping your life's work. And I just 
wonder how each of you feel about that fact. I mean, it's got to be a complicated thing to think about, no? No, definitely, especially when you don't call for it. This is something that came out of nowhere, right? We were 14 years old at the time, um, had no dealings with the police, and something that becomes so negative. Ken Burns says it himself. He says that in 1989, we were considered the five most hated human beings on the planet Earth, right? And then to go through that, and then nowadays to see the change. Right. And after when they see us, we're considered to be like the five most loved in 2019. When they see us, the Netflix documentary the Netflix by doc. Ava DuVernay. Yeah, by Ava DuVernay. So, you know, then it's like, you know, that's the change. And, and so we didn't have a choice. We grew up in the system and it, and it molded us. It molded us into fighters because we didn't have a voice. And so now when we do the doc with Ken Burns, we, you know, we get a voice back. And by the time we get to when they see us, we are, we are men and we're ready to fight against the system that has done us wrong. And so, you know, for us, we never had the opportunity to have normal childhoods, right? This has been replaced by prison life and then now activism work. I see you nodding along, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, um, we're one, you know, so when he speaks and I speak, we, we echo off each other yeah. because we, we've been around each other for so long and we understand what we're about to say. And just going back to what Raymond said, we were 14, 15, 16, respectively, um, Raymond's one month older than me, actually. <laughs> and we, we we were the youngest at the time, you know. So yeah. we've been fighting for almost our whole life. Yeah. You know, we're in our late 40s. Yeah. And we've been fighting since we were teenagers. And something's wrong there. When we should have been um, enjoying childhood or things like going to the prom, being young. Instead, we were in a prison cell for something we didn't do. You, you've been fighting since you were teenagers. So what? where is the wins? Where Where do you feel like, okay, in that fight, here's, there, here's something that has changed or has anything changed? I mean, for us, we, you know, we advocated to pass a bill um, that made a lot of traction, you know, where we had um, custodial interrogations recorded from the beginning, right? Because nobody got to see that with us. All you got to see was this package of Raymond saying, Kevin did it and this person participated and that was it. You didn't see the, the 8, the 15 to 30 hours it took to get there. And so... That was a win for us because now people got to see the whole process of how the interrogation works and, and how um, the re-technique is used and is, is administered and, and is used through the police department throughout across the nation where they actually can lie to you and get away with it. And so this is the stuff that became a, a win for us because we wanted people to just see it. And then hopefully somebody would say, let's pick up the piece and let's try to change this. We can't leave out of this conversation uh, the fact that Donald Trump was such a very big part of your story, yeah. uh, a leading voice in demonizing you as children. What was it like to see him become president? Mm. <laughs> Gut-wrenching. And I don't say this lightly. Um, when that happened, it made me feel like 9-11 happened again for myself personally. Because when I walked outside, that whole feeling of everyone looked lost. And when that happened, I felt like my gut was wrenching from him being nominated or becoming, I can't even say the word, actually, that he was, you know, became leader of the world. Um, it was something that I, we had to deal with, but it felt like the world was crumbling on top of us. And it was just extreme that we could see someone in that stature be elevated to that point. Yeah, this was somebody who called for the death penalty. Right. This is somebody who that no matter how many times he was challenged, he stood on his principle. He stood on what he perceived to be the facts. And um, and then he became leader of the, of the free world. So then it was like, you know, are we in jeopardy? Are we in danger? Is there something that's that's missing? Through the, you know what I'm saying? And so you just start to move a little bit different. But 
for us, because we were fighters, you know, we 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 look at it and we 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 face it head on. So I created the hashtag not my president, dump Trump, you know, stuff like that. Um, because this was somebody who still said we was guilty. Right? So at the end of the day, if you build us to become fighters and then now supposedly the fight is over, what do we do? It's never really over for us. I mean, at the same time, in the course of that presidency, um, you know, uh, born out of unfortunate events or awful events, not unfortunate events, awful events, we saw that summer in 2020 where um, there were protests around the world um, in recognition of George Floyd's murder. Um, And I wonder about how that felt to you guys um, uh, to see, um, you know, this global conversation suddenly about the ways in which perceptions of black men could lead to our death in the hands of criminal justice. No, that definitely becomes part of the focus because of what happened to us. We understood that over 400 articles were written about us within the first two weeks of the case, dissecting the lives of 14 and 15-year-old kids. And then you gave us these labels, urban terrorist, wolf pack, wilding, right? And, and ultimately, super predator, which set up for the 1994 crime bill. And so that's the stuff that we always try to expose. Like, somebody sitting here playing chess with us, and we don't have a clue what's going on, right? And, and, and once the emotional outcry of the people is they want justice, then it's easy for the system to do something to you like it did to us and get away with it and then continuously get away with it. Yeah. yeah. It's about raising awareness and just seeing everyone come together because, quite frankly, people are tired of being sick and tired of the same things happening all over again. And I remember my mother, she grew up in Virginia in the Jim Crow era. And she used to tell me stories that uh, the KKK, Ku Klux Klan, used to run in and drag people out their house. And the time that I got arrested, she said it felt like that again, that they came and dragged her son out of the streets. It was reversed. So I was dragged from the streets and put in a prison cell. That's tough to hear. That's tough to hear. Well, I mean, I'm sure she uh, celebrated like the rest of us uh, at 20 years ago this month. This month, mm-hmm. um, yeah. we're going to talk about Twitter. <laughs> the app has been part of your story too. Yeah. Uh, I understand that's part of how you got connected to <laughs> Ava uh, Duvernay in the in the last like minute and a half we got here. Tell us that story. How did Twitter show up? In- um, I, I watched the movie Selma, and there's a scene in Selma where um, Coretta is confronting Dr. King about infidelity. And I was so upset because I said, who put this in the movie? This is our iconic figure. Mm. We don't do those things. And so I went and did my research, and it was a woman, a woman by the name of Ava DuVernay. And then she was a black woman with dreads. And so I was like, what, what, what's going on here? <laughs> right? And so at first I was upset, but then I thought about it. And I said, she wasn't afraid to tell. If that was the truth, she wasn't afraid to speak it. Mm. And this is the person we needed in our corner. And so I, you know, I had that, um, the handle of Central Park 5 on Twitter, and I shot her a tweet. And the tweet said, what was gonna, your next movie? What was your next film going to be? CP5, Central Park 5, and then they had all these hashtags. And she retweeted it. And so when she retweeted it, maybe about 30 days later, she DM'd me. And she said, um, so nobody has the rights to your film? And we said, nah, we're waiting <laughs> for you. And then she said, um, well, I'll be in New York. Maybe we can have lunch. So we had lunch, like two hours. And then after that, she asked, could she meet the fellas? And I knew. I said, that's it. We're here. Okay. Okay. So Twitter, we're going to get into this, y'all. Twitter has been a a force for good as well. Kevin Richardson and Raymond Santana are members of what's become known as the Exonerated Five. This month marks the 20th anniversary of their vindication in the infamous Central Park jogger case that shaped so much of the public conversation about crime in the 1990s. Thanks to you both for this time and for your work. Thank you. Thank you. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. 
You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or you can find us at notesforamerica.org. We are on both Instagram and, yes, Twitter at Notes with Kai. That's Notes with K-A-I. Milton Reese was our board op for tonight's show. Music and mixing by Jared Paul and Mike Kutchman. Our team also includes Karen Froman, Regina Dehir, Vanessa Handy, Rahima Nasa, Kusha Navadar, and I am Kai Wright. Thanks for spending this time with us tonight. I'll talk to you next week.